Okay, take your Bibles, turn to the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi. If you can't find Malachi, find Matthew and turn left. It's just back behind that. So Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The book of Malachi will be in chapter 1 this morning. As I said before, Pastor Yeomans is on vacation, and so he's uh, camping. I feel... uh, I don't know if I feel bad or I'm, uh, I'm happy for Beth. I mean, camping at uh, her stage of pregnancy, good for her. Praise the Lord. <laughs> My wife would not be doing that, whether she's pregnant or not. We're not going camping. It doesn't matter to us, so it's not our thing. <laughs> and so someone said their idea of roughing it is taking the dirt road to the Holiday Inn. That's roughing it, all right? And so we'll be staying. At, if you find us, check the hotels. That's where we're staying, all right? Um, but they're camping. Uh, I talked this week to uh, Levi Tyrrell, Levi and Aloma. You remember Levi? It's only been a month. Have you ever forgotten him yet? Okay, so Levi is uh, moved to Vancouver, uh, started there at City Baptist Church, uh, doing well. Uh, they're having their camp, yes, uh, starting uh, this week. They had the younger group, and then the teen group would be next week, and Brother Levi will be helping in the teen camp uh, this week coming up. But today is the first day that he'll be preaching uh, as a member of City Baptist Church. And so he's covering the pulpit there. Uh, Pastor Paul will be there, but just because of camp and everything, I think he's asked Levi to cover the pulpit. So if you're interested, you can tune in. Uh, they'll live stream that, City Baptist Church of Vancouver. I don't know the website offhand, but I'm sure you can find it, City Baptist Church in Vancouver. And their service would begin, I think, around one o'clock our time. So it's a three-hour difference. And so if you want to see that, you could uh, certainly tune in. And we, th- we still love Levi. Levi and Aloma, and we're praying for them. I hope you're praying for them, and that God will continue to use them in Vancouver. We miss them here, but we're glad God is working through them there. Okay, we'll be in the book of Malachi this morning. Let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to help us here this morning. Heavenly Father, I ask that you'll help me now to convey the truth that we find here in this book that you've written for us, uh, for our learning, that we would understand the truth. Lord, please challenge us today and help us not to just take things lightly and help us not to just gloss over things, but to really take things to heart today. And Father, I pray for Pastor Levi as he preaches today that you'd use him for Pastor Yeomans and his family as they enjoy vacation, that you you would uh, bless them together. Thank you for them. And Lord, I pray that in this hour and this time that the Holy Spirit would move here and uh, would accomplish what you want to accomplish. In your precious name we pray, amen. I'd like to welcome, we have some visitors with us today. We have a number of people out of town. We have some visitors visiting from out of town, so we're glad to have you here as well, and I hope this will be a help to you from the book of Malachi. We don't always preach from the Old Testament uh, books. It's a little more difficult, and so maybe some things that we go through, but I hope that I'll explain it well enough that it'll be a help to you. So according to the New Testament, which is Matthew through Revelation, according to the New Testament, uh, the Old Testament was written for our learning and for our example. All right, so there are truths that we can learn from the Old Testament that we need to glean out that will help us live the way God wants us to live today. And so in order to help you see how Malachi, uh, a a man of God who wrote a a book from God over 2,500 years ago, how that writing that God gave us applies to you today. That's my job, all right? So I'm trying to do that today. And so I want to explain the situation, what was happening when Malachi wrote the book. So Israel was God's people. And Israel, as God's people, uh, lived and obeyed God for some time, but then they got away from obeying God's rules, and God warned them, and God warned them, and God warned them, and finally God allowed them to be conquered by Babylon, right? So Babylon came in, they took a lot of their people away, and moved them to Babylon 
for 70 years, there was really no uh, real kingdom in Israel. The people of, I of Israel lived in Babylon. We call that the Babylonian captivity, all right? So they were kind of held captive there for 70 years. And under uh, about 70 years later, they were freed uh, by King Cyrus and allowed to go back to their homeland. So this is his story that's in the Bible. It's history that we know is true, uh, even from outside sources, outside the Bible, but it's in the Bible. We know it's true. And so he went, he went back to their homeland. So under leadership of men like Ezra and Nehemiah, words that should sound familiar to you, men of God who God used to help reform and reshape the, the community of Israel, the nation of Israel, the city of Israel, of Jerusalem was built, the temple was built with these men's help, and the nation of Israel was reestablished, right? So that's kind of the, the quick history of the nation of Israel. Where does Malachi fit in? Okay, so after Ezra and Nehemiah came back and the city is reformed and there's a kingdom of Israel and there's a temple and things begin to roll into like normalcy again, 100 years later, Malachi writes this book. All right, so this is about 100 years after Ezra and Nehemiah. Along comes Malachi and God gives a message to Malachi to reveal to the nation of Israel. And this is the last book of the Old Testament, right? So we said that already between Malachi and Matthew. There's a good period of time between those two books, Malachi, and then Matthew would be the story of Jesus and John the Baptist and all that. Between those two books is like 400 years, right? That's a long time. So 400 years of no real revelation from God to Israel or God to man, 400 years of silence. That's a long time. If you think about it, uh, that's over twice the length that Canada has been a nation, right? So it's a long time of silence, but here's Malachi, the last guy to give a message to Israel from God. So let me set the scene here in Jerusalem. If, we're, if you were in Jerusalem 400 uh, years before the New Testament was written and Malachi was alive and you walked into Jerusalem, what would you see there? What would it look like? What would it feel like? Well, according to what we can read and understand from the Bible, the temple is up and running. They have uh, priests in place and the priests are bringing sacrifices. So in the Old Testament, people actually brought live animals to the temple and they were part of the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. We don't do that in the New Testament. Those things are not necessary anymore. It's a whole different system. But that's, that's up and running. People are coming. The temple's there. It's built. The priests are in place. Sacrifices are happening. People are coming and bringing their sacrifices to the temple. And the priests are offering the sacrifices. So on the surface, things are running the way they ought to run. The priests are doing what they're supposed to do. The people are bringing the sacrifices. There's animals and everything. The temple's built. The city's running. They're kind of there in their spot doing what's supposed to happen. So on the surface, everything seems good, but there's a problem below the surface. That's what we're going to talk about today, going through the motions. So if you went to Israel in the time of Malachi, you would see a lot of things that are supposed to be happening, and you'd say, oh, things are going well. But a lot of them, according to the book of Malachi, a lot of people were just going through the routine or going through the motions. And so the book of Malachi is a really interesting book. Tons and tons of questions are asked. God asks Israel questions. Israel asks God questions. God asks Israel questions, and Israel responds with questions. And so there's lots and lots of questions going on in the book of Malachi. And so God is trying to reveal to his people that they're just going through the motions. 
And God's trying to pull back the curtain and expose the situation. Here's what's really happening. You, you think you're doing okay. You, you're, you're doing all the right things, and you're in the right place, and you're going to the temple, and you're bringing the sacrifice, and the priests are, are there sacrificing. You're doing what you're supposed to do, but there's a problem. There's a problem. They're just going through the motions. So here's the question I want to try to answer today, and I hope you can get this. Two men in Jerusalem the time of Malachi, both take sacrifices to the temple. They both do what they're supposed to do. One man is sincere. One man's just going through the motions. How would we know? How would we know which man is doing what he's supposed to do, but he's just kind of going through the motion, and who's doing what they're supposed to do, but their heart's in it, and they're sincere? How would we know? It's a hard question to answer. But it's kind of the question that Malachi is trying to answer. But more important than that, think about this. Let's fast forward to St. Thomas right now. Two men come to church on a Sunday morning. One man is very sincere and ready to worship and learn and be close to God. One man is just going through the motions. How would we know? How would we know? Here's some more questions. We have probably seven or eight people that sing and, and play instruments and they worship the Lord. They lead us in worship. Of those people, some may be sincere and some, I mean, I say there are some that are sincere. Some may be just going through the motions. It's easy to get into routine and just go through the motions. How would we know? We have many people right now, as we sit here in the comfort, that are dealing with crying babies, changing diapers, uh, helping in kids' classes. We appreciate all those, maybe 10 to a dozen people that are helping. On Wednesday night when our program's running, we have people help with our kids on Wednesday night. And, and some are just going through the motions and some are very sincere. How would we know? Many people stop by the offering box and drop some offering in. Some are very sincere in what they're doing. Some are just going through the motions. How would we know? But here, here's what I want you to be very clear about. We're not trying to judge. We are not trying to judge somebody else if they're going through the motions or not. And in fact, if you thought, oh, I could tell. I could tell if someone's sincere or if they're going through the motions. You've missed the point. The point is not can you tell if somebody else is going through the motion. Is can you tell if you're going through the motions. That's the point. And that's what, that's what Malachi, from God, is saying to the nation of Israel, you're doing all the right things, but your heart's not in it. How do, and, and God just like pulls back layer after layer after layer. And if you have time, I won't take time to read the whole book. You read, you read the response of Israel. It's kind of this rhetorical response that we see. And Israel sounds like a teenager talking to God. God makes a statement. Let's, let's put it in real. So like you say you're a teenager, hey, your attitude's not right. What do you mean my attitude's not right? Israel says that all the time to God. What do you mean we don't love you? What do you, what do you mean we're not serving? What do you mean? What, like, what are you talking about? Has this attitude. How do we know? How do I know as I prepared a message today for you? I've been at the same church doing basically the same thing for 31 years. How do I know if I'm sincere, if I'm just going through the motions? It's, like, it's a legit, is it not a legit question? And this is what the, the, the question that Malachi is trying to answer from God for Israel. So today, we're going to give you a test, or you're going to give yourself a test. I'm not giving you a test. You're giving yourself a test. Am I just going through the motions, or am I sincere? And the result should be one of two things. Either it should convince you that you're 
sincere and doing things right before God and your heart is right before God, or it should convict you and say, woe is me, I, I am slipping into just going through the motions. It's, it's gotten to be a routine and not really a heart worship of God. One of those two things should happen this morning as we look at the Bible, because the Bible says in the New Testament that it can dig into our thoughts and the intents of our heart. So as I read and explain the Bible, I'm trusting that God and the Holy Spirit are working in your heart to really dig in. So let me give you a series of tests to ask yourself. Test number one, the test of honor. The test of honor. Let me just give you, Malachi does say this is a heavy message. Look at Malachi chapter one, verse number one. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. He calls it a burden. It's something that, this, this is not like, I wish I had a, like a, a fun message for you. Like this would be fun, we'll enjoy, and we'll go our way, and we'll feel really good. But this is a burden that Malachi says, I have a burden from the Lord to Israel. And I say to you, after studying Malachi and seeing how it applies in my life, I have a burden for you to think about and look at this morning. We're just going to skip down to some verses here. We'll look at a section of scripture. We can't do all of it. We'll start in verse number six. The test of honor. Look at these questions that God asks and look at the response. Verse number six. A son honoreth his father and a servant his master. God says, if then I be a father, where's my honor? Hey, Israel, where's my honor? And if I be a master, where's my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you. O priests that despise my name. And then ye say, wherein have we despised? How have we despised your name? How, would you, how could you say that, God, that we've despised your name? And God says, you despise my name. How, how could you say that, God? So here he says it's a test of honor. The word honor here has the idea of weight. Has weight. The idea of like, you ever heard this say, that guy carries a lot of weight around here. <laughs> I mean, he's a pretty important guy. What he says carries some weight. And God says, how much weight do I carry in your life? Think about that. How, how much weight do you give to what God says and to God's word in your life? The New Testament word that we use for, uh, for uh, honor would mean value. How much value, how much weight do we put on what God thinks and says? He gives the example of a father and a master. Two relationships we understand. A father says, uh, a son honoreth his father. Well, back in Israel, back in this time, it was very important that a son would honor his father. They, wouldn't, uh, they were not allowed to talk back to them, disrespect them. They were to honor their father. So every Israelite would understand that a son honored the father. And God says, you understand how a son honors his father? Well, where's my honor? I'm your father. Like, you get it. In this relationship, but do you get it in this relationship? I'm your father. Where's the weight? Where's the value? You're not honoring me like you should. Yeah, you're going to the temple. Yeah, you're taking your sacrifices. Yeah, you look good on the service, but inside your heart, there's no honor for me. You're not, you're not giving me the value or the weight that I deserve. We understand the idea of a master, a boss, a leader. And God holds both positions. He said, I'm your father and I'm your master. Where's my honor? So it's not only about what you do, it's about the attitude and spirit you do it with. That's what God's saying. Where 
is my honor. Notice the connection here. Uh, he says uh, about honor and fear. In the middle of the verse, it says, If then I be a father, where's my honor? If I be a master, where's my fear? Honor and fear are almost used interchangeably. The idea of respect. Not to be afraid of somebody, like we think of fear, but a respect, a reverence for. And did you notice, did you catch that in the middle of the verse? He's talking to the priests. <laughs> he's not just talking to the people bringing the... He's saying, hey, priests, I'm talking to you. He calls them right out. I mean, Malachi is not... He's not trying to be nice. He's just trying to be honest and true. This is what God says. Oh, priests. Leadership. So I have to take this to heart, right? As a leader of the church in that position, I got to take this to heart. But listen, if you are a leader of your home, you ought to take this to heart. Fathers, listen to me. Take this to heart. Are you leading your house in the right way? In fact, the New Testament tells us that we're all priests before God. So like in the, the, New Te- the Old Testament, we had priests. And we'd say, well, in the New Testament, we have pastors. No, those two, those two are not equal. <laughs> in the Old Testament, we had priests that helped Israel connect with God. In the New Testament, you're your own priest. You don't need a pastor to connect with God. And so don't equate pastors and priests together. Equate priests and you together. So when he says, oh, priest, where's my honor? He's talking to all of us. Now, listen, we all honor, we give way to, we value different things, right? Some of us in life, we all honor or value different things. Let me explain. We just recently have been remodeling our house. Very clear to me, as we remodeled our house, my wife and I honored different things. Many discussions have happened and will continue to happen as we remodel our house and realize that she has a different idea of value and weight and remodeling than I do. For example, double wall oven. We have in our house a double wall oven. On a scale of 1 to 10, a double wall oven is a minus 2 on my scale. <laughs> I mean, there is, it wasn't even on the radar. I didn't know that they even made double wall ovens. I didn't even care. It had zero value to me, no weight to me. But my wife, this was like her chance to have a double wall oven. She's always wanted a double wall oven. This never came in discussion for all of our 25 years of marriage, but now we're remodeling. We want a double wall oven, and it had great value and great weight. And so it came down to one final decision as we looked at, at ovens for our house. We had two left to choose from, either a double wall oven or divorce. And so I chose the double wall oven. It was very, I had, had great weight to me all of a sudden that we, I guess I'm joking, right? So um, my, I can say whatever I want. My wife is in Sunday school, so I can always do. And I know none of you will tell her, right? We're just a secret is safe with us. But honestly, there is no value or weight to me of a double wall oven, but there's great weight and great value to me in giving my wife the dream oven. I'm a wonderful husband. But I gave weight to it because she gave weight to it. I chose to give weight to, to give honor to, to give value to something because it's important to her, right? And divorce was really bad for me. So, both, so we made this choice. And so we make value decisions and value judgments. We all do different things. And, and the way you value your money is different than how I value. Some things you spend money on, I wouldn't spend money on. Some things you spend your time on, I wouldn't spend time on. I think well, that's a waste of time. You think that's not a waste of time. I need that. 
We all have different value systems. But God says, hey, here's one thing we should all agree on. At the top of your list, as far as weight and value in your life, what does God think? What does God think? So here's some ways we maybe can apply this. God's asking, where's my honor? God's asking, how do you rank me? Where do I fit in your system? Where, where do I fit? How do you value me? How highly am I valued in your life? How valuable is church and worship and God's word in your life? How valuable is that to you? Well, obviously you're here on a Sunday morning. You've made the choice to come. A lot of people have chosen not to come to church on Sunday morning. So you say, no, I have value. There's value here for me. But what does it take for us to go away from those things? How valuable is, are those things in our life? And not just worship here, but worship on our own and God's word on our own. How valuable is service to you, serving the Lord? Like, how valuable is that? Uh, we had opportunity to serve as a church on Wednesday night, and some people came. We put together baskets for a, a, a group here in town. That was valuable to some and not valuable. I'm not saying, again, I want to be very clear. These questions that I'm asking are not meant to be leading questions, like there's only one answer. They're meant to be searching questions. Ask yourself. Because I'm not saying that everybody should have been here on Wednesday night, and if you didn't come Wednesday night, you're not right with, you're going through the, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying ask yourself, how do you value God? Where does he rank? And, and how do you see that in your life? Because God basically said to Israel, where's my honor? Show me. Show, don't just tell me how much you honor me. Show me. Look at your actions and prove to me from your actions that you honor me. That's what God is saying to Israel. So I think the same question applies to us. How can we honor, how do we show our honor to God? Searching questions, not leading questions. As you ask the question, am I just going through the motions? Can you answer the question, how highly do I value God? How do I show God that he is number one in my life. Because the New Testament says it very clearly, in all things he should have the preeminence. I heard God preach a message a long time ago. He preached Jesus Christ, prominent or preeminent? Is Jesus Christ just a part of your life, a big part, or is he number one? Prominent, big part of your life, preeminent, number one in your life. God says to Israel, hey, God says to us, Where's my honor? Are we honoring God with our actions? The test of honor. So I, I hope all of us will do this today as we look through the, the book of Malachi and ask ourselves, if God looked you in the eye and said, okay, church, believer, follower, where's my honor? How do you, do you honor me with your life? See, when, <laughs> when God asks a question, he knows the answer. I went to college at a very a pretty strict school, Pensacola Christian College. Back in my day, it was pretty strict anyway. And so sometimes you got in trouble, you get called to the dean's office. It only happened to me once. <laughs> I won't talk about that. It only happened to me once, but I learned this. If the dean was asking you a question, they probably knew the answer already. <laughs> they are waiting for you to come clean or not come clean. See, when God asks you a question, he already knows the answer. He knows your heart. He's just trying to reveal to you where you are. That's why God asks all these questions. It's not for God's information. He's trying to get Israel to realize, maybe I need to change how I honor God in the way I, 
it, it wouldn't really change much of what they were doing. It's just how they were doing what they were doing. Test number one, test of honor. Number two, the test of excellence. The test of excellence. Look at chapter one, verse number seven. God says, Ye offer polluted bread upon my altar. And ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. Verse number eight. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee? Or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? Now, here's some more questions. The test of excellency, are you giving your best? That's what God said. You're bringing sacrifices, but you're bringing lame and blind and polluted bread. You're bringing sacrifices, but it's not your best. In fact, the Bible later on says in chapter 1 that there were people bringing lame sacrifices, sick sacrifices to the, the temple, and meanwhile, back in their flock, they had the perfect lamb that they should sacrifice. So it wasn't the fact that they couldn't be... They're giving their best, but it wasn't like good enough. They had the best, and they kept it back for themselves. They weren't, weren't giving God the offering of obedience and excellence, which is very similar to the, the test of honor. Like as we honor God and give Him first place, we want to give Him our best. He uses common relationship to understand. He says, "Offer it to your governor. Try, try giving your second best to your governor." The person who's ruling over you, maybe an authority at work or an authority in government. Give your, only give part of your taxes to the government. See how that goes. Yeah, we all laugh, right? We know that's not going to go very well. Oh, I don't want to give you my best. I'll give, we all don't want to give our best to the tax. We understand that, but we, we understand that we have to give our best. And your governor, if you constantly give second effort, second best effort at work, you may not have a job for a while, for a while. God says, it doesn't work for you under your governor. Why do you think it works with me? He's trying to give them this relationship that they understand. So what would giving our best look like for you? If you said, no, I want to give my best. I want to give my very best to God. I want to pass the test of excellence. I want to honor God and I want to give my excellence to God. What would that look like? What would your very best in serving God look like? What would your very best in worship look like? What would your very best in witnessing look like? What would your very best in your personal devotions look like? What would be giving your best? Again, I'm not trying to give you the right answers. I'm trying to give you the right questions. Does that make sense? I'm trying to get you to ask yourself tough questions because that's the book of Malachi. Hey, Mal hey, Israel, here's some tough questions for you. Where's my honor? Why are you bringing these lame sacrifices when you got a good sacrifice right over there? Why? What's going on? Why are you not bringing your best? And why don't we bring our best to church? And why don't we come ready to receive the word? And why, why aren't we giving our best to represent Jesus Christ at work? And why aren't we giving our best when it comes to serving the Lord? And, and maybe we're, we're just kind of going through the motions and we're there and we're just going through the motions. That's the idea. The test of excellence. Lastly, one more test I'll show you. And there's more in the book of Malachi. I don't want to go through the whole book, but just there's a few in chapter 1. The test of motivation. 
Why do you do what you do? This is a tough question. Has anybody ever judged your motivation? Oh yeah, they did that, but I know why they did that. They want the spotlight. They want this. They want that. And you, have you ever had your motivation judged by somebody else? Believe me, as a, a pastor working in a church for all these years, it happens to all of us. It happens to all of us. And it's tough. And that's why the point of the book of Malachi is not that we should ask this question of anybody else, but ask yourself, what is my motivation? Why did I get out of bed this morning and come to church? Why did I drop an offering in the offering box or give online? Why? Why did I do that? Why did I go and help at the car wash? Or why did I go and help put boxes together? For Why did I do these? What's my motivation? What's, what's driving me? Why did I choose not to go? Why do I choose not to go to church sometimes? Why do I? Why? What's your motivation? Look at chapter 1 and verse number 10. Again, God speaking here. The bulk of the book of Malachi is either God speaking straight to Israel or God like filling in the blanks of what Israel's response is going to be. Look at verse number 10. Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do ye kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you. Did you catch that? I have no pleasure in you saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. He says, you do these things, but you're, you won't do it for nothing. You're, you expect something in return. Like if, if you don't get some response from somebody about doing these things, you won't close the doors for naught, and you won't kindle the fire for naught. You're looking either for financial uh, retribution, or you're looking for like someone to praise you or give you. Why are you doing? You won't do anything unless you get something in return. Even your service has become selfish. See, service is supposed to be selfless. But it's possible to make service a selfish thing. I'm only doing it for what I get out of it. And so God calls them out on that. They expected something in return. And God says, I take no pleasure in that type of sacrifice. I have no pleasure in that. In fact, he says, the sacrifice is unpleasing and unacceptable. I will not accept that offering at your hand. Don't bother. God's face said, don't bother. Don't bother bringing your, if that's your attitude, if you won't do anything, you're looking for a return of that, don't bother. I don't need that kind of sacrifice. Because God always, always, always wants our heart. Actions always follow a right heart. But we can go through the motions and have the right actions and our heart be far from it. See, it's possible. And it, not only was it possible, but it was happening over and over and over again in Israel thousands of years ago. And I would, I would suggest that's happening over and over and over again in churches across Canada and maybe even here, that we go through the motions and our motivation is not right. Skip down to verse number 13. Ye said also, behold, what a weariness is it. Talk about service. I got to go do this again. 
I, I, I have to go serve, I have to go on the bus again. I have to go serve the kids again. I have to go, I have to go, I have to go. I hope you don't have a have to go spirit. That's a, you're saying it's a, you're doing what you're supposed to do, but it's like, oh, great, time to take the sacrifice again to the temple. Look, look what he even says after that. What a weariness it is to you, and ye have snuffed at it. You know what that means? That's what it is. It means to blow hard. Great. I got to go again. Pastor wants us to come again and, and do something else. Great. I mean, I'm not saying that happened. I'm just saying this is what's happening in Israel. God says, I see you. I got your number. And it's a, the service that you're doing, even though you're doing the right thing, is a weariness to you, and you snuff at it. Look at the rest of the verse. Say it, the Lord of hosts. And you brought that which is torn and lame and the sick. Thus you brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, say it, the Lord? So what it seems like to me is that the routine of service has overshadowed the reason for service. Just the routine. I got to do this. I got to do that. It's my turn. I'm on the schedule for the nursery. <sighs> Great. None of the guys can say that because it's easy for me to preach on that because I'm not on the nursery schedule. You know, it's, it's my turn to do this. <sighs> I, it, and we all have moments of that, but I, I hope if you're having moments like that on a regular basis that this message will be for you and say, like, I got I to gotta check that. I'm not passing the test of motivation, and God sees your heart, and God knows the truth. And so the routine of service can sometimes overshadow the reason for service, and it happens to those in leadership, and it happens to those that aren't in leadership. Because most of the time when I come to church, I'm serving alongside with you. Very rarely am I up here leading the service. So really, I'm a member of Bible Baptist. I joined Bible Baptist Church. Back in the old auditorium, many years ago, my first Sunday here, 1992 in July, 1st of July. Yeah, you, most of you weren't, some of you weren't born, I understand that. I joined, I'm a member. I willingly left my home country, my family, to come strictly to be a part of Bible Baptist Church. And I've been through a lot, we've done lots of different things in service over the years, and sometimes it's like, I gotta do that again? Can't somebody else do that? I gotta check my heart. That's, that's, that's the whole thing. Malachi and God through Malachi is calling us out. Do you have the right motivation or are you just going through the motions? Let me wrap all this up. As we examine ourselves in light of Malachi chapter 1, these questions, the test of honor, the test of excellence, the test of motivation, Malachi chapter 2, gives us a solution. Look at verse number one. And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. He said, hey priests, I called you out on what you're doing wrong. Let me tell you what you ought to do. Here's the commandment for you. Verse number two. If ye will not hear, and if you'll not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because you do not lay it to heart. The clear solution is, first of all, you got to hear it. you got to hear it. You can't just listen to it. you got to hear it. you got to put it and say, okay, 
I'm here at Bible Baptist Church on a Sunday morning. I'm going to take this message in, and I'm going to think about it, and I'm going to hear it, and then I'm going to lay it to heart, he says. If you won't lay it to heart, there's no hope for you. If you won't hear it, no hope for you. If you won't lay it to heart, no hope for you. If you walk out of here and say, well, that was a good message for some people in our church. They really needed it. Swing and a miss. <laughs> you missed. But if you walk out of here and say, I heard it, now this week, I'm going to lay it to my heart. I'll, I'll lay myself open before God and look at these tests. I'll open the book of Malachi again and read through that. Maybe I'll just lay myself. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what Malachi says. It will do one of two things. Convince you that you're good and, and head in the right direction or convict you and say, man, maybe there's some things I need to work on and maybe I've just kind of gotten the routine and I'm just going through the motions. Lay it to heart. And then he says this. Give glory to my name. Give glory. The solution is hear it, lay it to heart, and glorify God. Make the decision. In fact, later on, it talks about this in the book. I won't go there. Return. Change. Repent. Change your actions. Again, your actions may not change at all, but your heart is always a matter of the heart. So my question is today, can you take the book of Malachi and lay it to your heart, and put yourself to this test. Please understand my heart. My heart is not at all to sit here and judge. And honestly, I did not preach this message because I thought, ah, the people of Bible Baptist Church really need this message, and so I'm just going to give it to them. That's not it. That wasn't Malachi's. Malachi said, I, I got a burden from the Lord for you, why did I preach out of the book of Malachi? Because God laid it to my heart <laughs> and said, here's something to think about. Here's something to think about. Analyze your own heart before God. Will you, as an individual, lay it to heart? God is always concerned about the heart. Today, in this congregation, God sees past all fakes and facades and sees right to the heart, just like he did in Malachi's time. And whether you're visiting here for the first time or you're here for many years, it doesn't matter. God sees your heart. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Because it's certainly possible to go through the motion year after year after year and never even have a personal relationship with the Lord. I I've met people that were on a church staff they had to come to the conclusion that they were not really born-again Christians. And they had to get saved. Are you truly born again? If you don't know Christ is your Savior, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Bible says that all of us are equal and that we're sinners. We're sinners by choice. We're sinners by nature. But that God sent Jesus Christ to be his only sacrifice for sin. And when Jesus died, he died for your sin and my sin. And without having Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is no hope of eternity. Malachi is reading, writing to people who are already God's people. And so God's people need to have a change in heart as well. But when I was 11 years old, I repented of my sin, had a change of heart, and I got saved. Are you saved today? Number one question, are you saved today? If you're not, we'd love to take a Bible and show you how you can know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And take the truth of the Bible and lay it to your heart. But I understand 
the majority of people in this room would say, no, I'm already saved. I've asked Jesus to be my Savior. You could give a clear testimony of a change in life. Praise the Lord for that. But really, the book of Malachi is written to you. Are you willing to have a heart examination using the book of Malachi to lay open the test of excellence, the test of motivation, and the test of honor? Will you lay it to heart this morning?